Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, reporters, politicos, politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Man, that's a lot of peace. Here on a Minor Detail podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody. I am live. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. It is Sunday evening, October the 13th, and everybody in the metro D.C. area should be somehow satisfied by the sports teams, especially with the Redskins no longer the shame of the metro D.C. area finally winning a game. The Ravens won their game, and... It looks like the Nats, I mean, hey, I'm not a Nats fan. I'm a Red Sox fan, but I got to tell you, the Nats could be going all the way. And it's really exciting. The Orioles, not so much. My Red Sox, man, uh, tough season. Tonight, I have a special guest. That's what we're here for. And we actually, my guest and I, we can talk about some sports. I'm sure he he, he might want to talk about that. Jason Williams is the president and CEO of MD Strategic Consulting. He joins me for the first time on the podcast tonight, and he's with me now. Jason, hey, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. Williams, all right, listen, let's, let's, let's just start right off the bat. What, what was up with that party you guys had? I heard it uh, from my recollection down at Mako. You guys had the best party. <laughs> we like to throw and have a good time. Uh, it's um it's actually uh, it's funny because uh, it actually started um, with uh, Prince George's County. I, I had just started my business, and the county executive used to throw this uh, ice cream social from four to six. And I said to him, uh, Mr. Baker, if you want to run for governor, you have to kind of we got to loosen it up, uh, have a little bit more fun. I want to plan this event from nine to twelve a.m. And I remember his response. He laughed out loud, said, "I'm not up that late." And uh, we actually ended up convincing him to do it. And we had such a great time that first year that, you know, I kind of just took it and ran with it uh, from then. So it's kind of grown to what it is today, just something laid back, allowing people to connect and chat. You know, we, we bill it as that 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. event that people network and have a good time. Uh, it, there was certainly good times had by all, especially myself. Now, look, admittedly, during the entire Mako, as um, as someone who was covering the event, I I did not have a ounce of adult beverages. No alcohol for me during the entire trip. I stuck to club soda and was was very careful. In fact, so much so I stayed in Salisbury during the week of Mako, and so I drove back and forth. So I had some late nights, and look, I had to be completely sober to actually take in all that was happening at some of these Mako parties. And thank God I was because. That was where the action was. You know, the conference, great, fine, learn lots, and as all county officials should. But your party especially, the uh, – where was it held? It was on 45th, right? Right off of 45th, yeah, 45th I'm pretty Street. sure. Yeah, 45th Street Tap House. Um, we got a great relationship with the owner. It was, it was a good time. Uh, there was some interesting characters there, and I met some new friends, made some new friends, sat at the bar – it, it was really a, just a, a fantastic opportunity to, to be with – to unwind over politics. People had a lot of fun, and I'm telling you what, I think they're going to remember that, and I can't wait until the party next year. And uh, I am just – I'm just um, – hey, let me tell you what. The best thing that you guys did was hand out those sunglasses. I am not kidding, Jason. I wear those black <laughs> Wayfair sunglasses everywhere. I can't – 
I I always break expensive sunglasses. I have one pair of expensive sunglasses to my name. Uh, I I bought a pair of Ray-Bans and I put them in my pocket and I'm always afraid these things are going to break. So when I'm out about, I I, I got two pairs, one um, in my car and then I I carry another pair with me. Um, You know, when I'm walking around, I'm telling you, your sunglasses, those those black rim sunglasses that you all gave out was the best thing I took away from Mako, no doubt. The best. No, it's, it's actually one of the funny things is that I've dropped expensive sunglasses in two harbors, National Harbor and in uh, Baltimore's Inner Harbor. So uh, <laughs> I decided that that would be a good giveaway. So I have about a dozen of them in my car because I leave them on trains. I leave them like I, I leave them all over the place. Now it's kind of become like big boys bail bonds. Like you get those pens everywhere. We're going to have our sunglasses in as many places as possible. So uh, I'm, it's, I'm it's, rep it's you, actually, man. It's actually, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a fun thing. It's, it's laid back. It's the beach. It's supposed to be uh, a little bit relaxing. And, you know, as you said, you know, the elected leaders are doing all of their conferences and their speeches and everything during the day. So we try to provide a place to just relax and have a good time. And, you know, I still can't seem to find that pimp you were talking about. Dude, there was a pimp there. I promise. I swear to you, there was a pimp. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Uh, there was a, well, maybe not an actual pimp, but he surely, um, Surely there was a sense of humor involved when he purchased that red suit. I mean, he, he seemed like an otherwise lovely person, but there was there was some uh, there was some weirdness happening in the corner with a couple who were who were going at it and kissing, and it was you know it was it was fun to watch. And I I sat over off to the side with uh, count my count my uh, one of our county councilmen Andrew Friedson and Julia Foxwell, Lynn Foxwell's sister and Sushant's wife. And we were just kind of taking it all in and having a blast, and we saw some kissing. We saw a guy that had a really nice suit on, and uh, he he was just walking around. There was a guy that was like wearing a red shirt that was doing a really weird dance. I'm, I'm telling you, there you brought out the life of Mako, and I only hope that you can top <laughs> it next year. It was an amazing party. I'm not kidding. It was just it was such a successful party. I had so much fun watching what went down and i had i had some offline conversations with many people and look we were there we were just having a good time and i really appreciate what you guys did that night to to bring out the best in maryland politics bless you bless you well you know at the end of the day we uh we always get a very big business bump off of doing that it's a business networking event we have some of our clients sponsor it it's really to take the desk away i think you know um you know there's a lot of conversations that could happen uh, you know, in office buildings and elsewhere, but like having sitting down, having a drink with someone, talking things out. Um, you know, you, you see a lot of business get done um, outside of uh, the state house and the city halls and the in the office buildings, and it's it's supposed to be that way uh, more often than not that uh, people actually talk to each other, uh, and you know, sometimes uh, a, a, a couple drinks uh, lubricates the conversation. I I agree, and look here in here in Maryland. As you just said, the real action takes place off of the Senate and House floor outside of committee rooms and outside of the House and Senate office buildings. Down at MAKO, conferences and various community events, that's where the real discussions happen. That's where policy is formulated. That's where ideas are often take their first breath. That's why I love MAKO, and it's not just a party to, to hang out with lobbyists. It's not it's not just one weekend caked in uh, debauchery. It it is a lot of fun. I you learn a lot. You meet a lot of new people, and I think overall this this Mako was certainly uh, successful. So I give credit to County Executive Barry Glassman, who was the the president of the Maryland Association of Counties, and uh, I give much credit to all the county officials who came down to learn how to be more effective leaders. But Moving on to you as the president and CEO of MD Strategic Consulting, for the first time, someone who is listening tonight may say, okay, Brian, what is MD Strategic Consulting and who is Jason Williams? Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you've been up to for the last 10 years, and then I want you to talk about your business and how it um, – what you do in Maryland and where you're based out of. Sure, sure. So uh, I 
I got started, uh, God, years ago working for uh, Kiefer Mitchell, actually, uh, running his first campaign for uh, the 11th district in Baltimore, which, you know, represents downtown all the way up to Upton and Sandtown, Winchester. It still does to this day. A good friend of mine, Eric Costello, now is the councilman there. But I was 21 years old when I got started and kind of caught the eye of some after uh, Kiefer won, caught the eye of some um, other elected leaders, ended up working for uh, the Mike Miller down in um, uh, in the Senate on budget and tax. Uh, yeah, and then the Prince George's County and the House delegation. So I was 22 at the time when, uh, when Mike um, gave me that opportunity, which I appreciate every day to this day. But he also, like, you know, he's Mike Miller. I mean, if you want to learn Maryland politics, uh, there's no better person to have learned it from. Uh, and it kind of laid the foundation for me to get involved with uh, Senator, then Congressman Ben Cardin, when I helped run his uh, campaign for uh, U.S. Senate, uh, you know, that he won. Uh, you know, I went on from there to work for labor unions throughout the mid-Atlantic region, uh, hopped around the country for a bit, and then ended up uh, uh, investing a lot of my union's resources into this guy named Sherman Baker, who had run twice for county executive, and I figured the third time was the charm. Let's let's see what he can do. I'd heard about him, uh, learned a lot about him, thought he was straightforward, had vision, uh, could inspire people. Uh, so we, our union, uh, it was the Laborers International Union. We uh, put uh, independent expenditure in and uh, supported him uh, in his race. Uh, he ended up winning. And reached out to me and said, um, you know, Jay, there's some things happening in Prince George's County. And Ryan, as you know, that was back in 2010 uh, when he was just uh, elected and just about to take over. uh, And the previous county executive was arrested. Um, So my boss, uh, the head of the union, comes into my office and says, hey, your county that you just helped had us spend all that money on is, is on CNN. And I said, what are you talking about? I pop on the TV and sure enough. The previous county executive is being walked away in handcuffs, and I'm like, oh, wow. So I call, and uh, Mr. Baker's team responds and says, why don't you come in and uh, talk with us a bit? So I sit down and pitch, you know, like this, these are the things we should do, it's ethics, it's, you know, it's all these, all these things that we can do to excite people and, and keep people focused. And, uh, and then Mr. Baker ended up offering me a job and asked me to leave the union and come and work with him, which was uh, truly one of the best experiences in my life working in local government. It's really where the federal state money, it trickles down to the streets, to the to crime, to uh, economic development, to um, empowerment. It all comes down to that local government level. So I spent four years there uh, in his inner office working on the MGM grant to transit-oriented development, to the Transforming Neighborhoods Initiative, uh, to knowing where he was, why he was there, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, they called me the chief of stuff. I kept kind of all the pieces together for him uh, and then got to work with some incredible people, uh, his chief of staff, his uh, his legislative director, his head of schools. Like, it was just quite an experience. So after four years when no one decided to run against him, I uh, told Mr. Baker I'd like to leave I think, um, you know, I spent my career helping people tell their stories better to achieve their missions. I wanted to go and start a business. Um, He correctly paused and said, well, you've always been the guy behind the scenes. You've never led a team, like, directly, like, finishing it from start to finish. You got it started, but you didn't finish it. I want you to be vice president of economic development. And I basically said, so I'm trying to quit, and you're giving me another job. Uh, Very good. Um, so I led uh, his uh, strategic partnership uh, uh, for Prince George's County, really getting uh, local government, local uh, partners to invest in government. Uh, I dealt with some of the P3 stuff for Prince George's County, and then I uh, helped plan international missions for him and international delegations coming into the county. And then I got really involved with branding the county, um, how we were talking about Prince George's County. He always said it was the economic development engine uh, of the state of Maryland. You know, sometimes, you know, speaking it can actually, and and putting a team in place that actually executes it uh, can make it the truth. Uh, And, you know, there's $8 billion worth of work going on in Prince George's County and and more investment coming. Uh, So after a year and a half doing that, I said, okay, 
I think I got this. I'm going to go and uh, start MD Strategic Consulting, which basically, as I said, storytelling. Uh, we spent, I spent from each person I was working with, either we were trying to craft how we were going to get the message out, how we were going to make it connect to communities, how the business community was going to connect with other communities in the region. Uh, it was all telling the story to achieve the mission. So I wrote the business plan for MD Strategic Consulting, um, started uh, in the spare bedroom I'm actually standing in right now, uh, and, uh, and said, I'm going to create this. And uh, I went to Mr. Baker, and I told him, I'm really going. I uh, gave him a month's notice. Uh, and then September 18th of 2015, I was on my own, uh, putting together IKEA furniture in a spare bedroom. Um, <laughs> since, then, since then, it's grown. Yeah. We have our office in Baltimore, our main office in Prince George's County, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, I have about 11 team members and, and uh, anywhere between matters what, what, uh, what the client needs are, anywhere between 25 to 50 clients based on uh, individual projects. So that's MD Strategic. What, what a story. And we'll get into later in the interview a little bit about what your firm does, how it helps your clients, and just the basics of what you do day to day. But let me back up. I'm, I'm really interested in some of the folks that you've worked for. You talked about Maryland State Senate President Thomas B. Mike Miller. He is a name that is synonymous with everything to do with Maryland State politics. There's, I think there's been no bigger figure, no bigger giant in Maryland politics in the last 35 years than Mike Miller. And as we all know, Mike Miller is currently battling a very serious disease, H4 cancer. And that's, it's, it, it's a tough battle. And it, I think it's felt by, by many people who are connected to, to the Senate president all throughout the state. I think people who know Mike, uh, they see him and they're, they're, they're absolutely rooting for him. What was that experience like working for Mike? You saw him up up close in person. I'm sure you saw some of his his weaknesses, some of his strengths, but some of that experience. I'm interested to know what a former staffer's perspective is working with this giant in Maryland politics. I mean, it was amazing. I, I don't think I quite realized it when I started. I mean, I was 23 year old. You, at 22 years old, you think you know everything. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I, I was school. I was <laughs> I was schooled very quickly. And, uh, you know, uh, learning uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's funny. I'm watching everything that's going on with the Caroline Commission. And back then, I was writing hundreds of letters in response, explaining to people what the Thornton Commission was <laughs> and what that's that good. funding was. That was one of my first projects working for Mike. Um, and, you know, another uh, uh, interesting thing is that before gambling was gambling, uh, back in 2003, when I was working for him, um, you know, we were talking about how to bring gambling to the state of Maryland. Uh, you know, it was under Bob Ehrlich, and he was like, it's all the way forward, and there were pros, there were cons. I, I knew more about uh, casinos than I ever thought I would, and, you know, I had the audacity in, in a meeting to say to Mike, you know, I really don't agree with casinos. <laughs> I uh, I learned a lesson there. Like uh, it's like, well, it's your assignment now, and you're going to work on it. <laughs> it's like, thank you, sir. I shouldn't have opened my mouth, uh, but Man, I ended I, up learning. I, I want to get it. Go on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. My apologies. Go, go ahead, Jim. Uh, no, I was just say I I learned. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, he was the type of person that, you know, uh, he wanted you to learn, but he also wanted you to engage. Um, you know, like some people find him to, to be um, uh, scary. Uh, I find him to be, I thought he was a great teacher. Uh, and uh, so I, I opened my mouth, my 22-year-old mouth, and then I got assigned a very big project by him, which, uh, you know, later in my life, uh, when I was working for Mr. Baker, um, you know, all of that knowledge came to use. I don't find him scary, and as someone who covers him, I and I don't find him to be. I I I don't find him to be intimidating. I just I find him to be a formidable figure in Maryland politics. Who's look? You 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 can't talk about Maryland politics without first considering that Mike Miller has been around for some of the most critical policy decisions made within 
the last 35 years. He's, he's been at the front of the line next to multiple governors and multiple policymakers, and he's had his fair share of legislative battles. He's going to continue, I'm sure, to have his fair share of legislative battles. You mentioned casinos. You, we all know that Mike Miller's, that was a pet project of his uh, and, and Bob Ehrlich. And I'm interested to see what your impression is of Mike Miller's relationship with Comptroller Peter Francho. You know, of course, you were in the thick of it. So you know that Peter Francho did not support casinos back then. And he's, you know, he, he talked a lot about how that's really not a sustainable source for bringing in money to support our public school system. And I'm, I'm interested to see your interpretation more as an analyst of that relationship. Why is it so contentious, Jason? I mean, I think, you know, um, you just said it. I mean, you know, this, the Senate president's been around for a very long time. He's seen governors come and go. He's, he's had his hits. He's had his struggles and his fights to get things that he thought were the uh, right thing that you've done. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, as far as, you know, you mentioned it earlier, and I just want to touch on it. You know, I think everyone was kind of shocked uh, about his announcement, and it was extremely, um, it was extremely sad. Uh, but, you know, once again, it's one of those things, don't don't bet against Mike. Uh, he's a fighter. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've seen him later, lately, Ryan, but he's looking stronger. He's, uh, he's going have, to more yeah. events. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been a great, it's, it's a great story about the type of person he is. When it comes to uh, him and, and, you know, Mr. Francho, I think, you know, they are, they're just two very, very different people uh, that have come from very, very different backgrounds. And um, that, that just sometimes begs, you know, sometimes a head-on collision from time to time. And, you know, as you know, Mike, he's not one to shy away from a head-on collision uh, with someone if he disagrees with them. And, you know, I know Mr. Francho, he's got ambition. Um, you know, everyone can see the path that he's laying out. I saw your most recent article uh, when, from when he was in on the Eastern Shore kind of laying out, um, you know, his path to the governor's mansion. I think it's been something on his eye for a while. Sure. Uh, and, you know, that everyone, you know, people start questioning your motives and what's happening. And I think he's run into some of those situations with, uh, you know, the Senate president. And it happens. It happens. But you can see the fact that politics uh, in Maryland, it's a very personal game. It's, you know, it's bringing it back sure. to Mako, spending that quality time together and being able to talk to each other. Um, I'm not sure if I would put the two of them in a locked room together, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, it's, uh, I, I think, I think both men have respect for one another. Uh, maybe privately politically, they mm-hmm. they disagree on a number of issues. And Peter Francho has taken the lead on several issues in direct opposition to, to Mike Miller's policies. And he has defied Mike Miller and has pushed back and, has dubbed a uh, has created a more so of an outsider status and has said that um, Mike Miller is really the what he calls the political machine in in the state of Maryland and you can agree with that sentiment or disagree or slightly agree or disagree but I, I think both men have had some big careers but what do you think Mike's legacy and I hate about legacies because I, I, I see Mike as, as just a fighter and I, I think he's going to beat this. Um, I think we're, we're all rooting that for him and uh, his family. And, but when, when the time comes to talk about legacy as a former employee, Jason, what do you think that his, his legacy is going to be in Maryland politics? How are we going to remember him? You know, I think, you know, that fighter sentiment that you just you just put out, that he has been a fighter. He's been, I think, very much so a steady hand in Maryland politics. Um, you know, uh, what was it when, when you learned in uh, back in school, the House moves quickly, the Senate moves a bit slower uh, yeah. to, to, to take a bit, a closer look at things. I mean, he's a historian. He studies. He looks, he's. Like your people are going to remember that the 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 things he was able to accomplish. You know, you say one thing or another about what is happening 
this won't be, I don't believe, a cornerstone of his legacy, but it'll be something that people look back on. Like, you're right, he, he did actively work on getting, um, you know, the gambling industry growth and for the purpose of investing in, in schools, uh, but also for the purpose of economic development. You can't pass up the fact that, um, you know, I go back to Rashern Baker and Rashern working with Mike to figure out how to build not a casino, but a resort. You got to, I mean, if yeah. you've been to the MGM, it was done the way that I think it should have been done everywhere, like to make something unique and fun uh, that brought a lot of people together and not standing for anything less uh, is what happened there. And that was, you know, with Sharon and, and Mike working together to create something that now is spawning a lot of economic growth throughout that entire area. Uh, that, I think, is a legacy that, you know, a Mike can look back on and say, you know, spawning the economic development, being that steady hand, uh, being influential, Thornton to now Kerwin. I mean, like the, the money that has gone into uh, school systems. When I worked for him, the things he was able to do for Southern Prince George's County um, that often felt that they weren't as connected uh, to the rest of the, the metropolitan area, area, but he focused on it, uh, made it happen for, for those uh, for those areas and said economic development can happen here too. So I think there's going to be a lot of things. I think it's based on the person what everyone thinks, um, you know, Mike's legacy is going to be. But I, I wouldn't start writing, uh, you know, his legacy story just yet. Uh, I think, he, I think I, we've got a little bit more time with Mike. Because, uh, I mean, years ago I heard, it was like, wait, it was like every four years, oh, yeah, Mike's going to retire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he's, and he's still here. Still here. And he's kicking, and he is he's, – he's definitely still very, very much engaged in the process. Jason, you've worked for some heavy hitters. Look, we, we mentioned Mike Miller, Senator Ben Cardin, and, uh, of course, the indomitable U.S. Senator Barbara Mikulski. And – former Prince George's County Rashern Baker. Yeah, County Executive Baker was, I, I would consider him, of course, the front runner when he came into the gubernatorial election. What do you think went wrong with his campaign? We, I expected him to in, inevitably become the Democratic nominee, and I think he ran a, he ran a decent campaign, and he's a nice guy. He, uh, he's, he's the, he was the County Executive of Maryland's second largest county he had tremendous responsibility he took over the county during a time of tumult when as you mentioned earlier the former county executive was arrested uh, i believe went to jail and so here we are and this was we knew the race in 2018 against larry hogan a republican no less was going to be a difficult race larry hogan was immensely popular still is unless the polls have changed and i haven't seen that um, Baker, he lost in the primary, came in second to former NAACP chair Ben Jealous. What happened in that race? What do you what do you think went wrong? Yeah, I, I don't think it's as much. I mean, it's for someone who's worked in the state of Maryland, uh, and I, I tell this to people. You know, I I used to uh, teach at GW before I started my business, and uh, and I taught a campaign and political management course. And I was like, let me tell you about Maryland. Maryland is a microcosm of the United States. Sure is. Uh, there are everything from mountains to, to, to the south, to the shore, to urban communities, to suburban communities, uh, to people of every color and every background. Um, and, you know, like you've got to be able to create a story um, that, that really connects. I mean, that's really why I got into to politics is, I want to make sure that people are connecting with a person. You know, I thought uh, Rashern had an amazing story. Um, It's just your ability to organize and get that story out. Um, I thought that, you know, Mr. Jealous just really outfoxed him on that uh, and getting that story out to the communities that, um, that voted in a primary. And, you know, this election was especially like focused on the progressive, uh, um, those progressive values which Mr. Baker had 100 uh, percent, just Mr. Jealous was able to communicate, was really able to tell his personal story in a way um, that I could started to see very quickly 
was connecting with people across the state. And it just, you know, at a tail end of an election, you gain that momentum, which really sucks for a front runner is to be the front runner really early on. Uh, you know, like you have nowhere to go, but to start to slip and have others try to catch you and pull away from you. Um, so that's basically what I thought that happened. You know, Joe's just got a story out and he got a story out. Well, he ended up with a lot of endorsements and I know that there was some IE money spent and they linked to that story and they told that story to their constituencies as well. So, uh, you know, I think um, it would have been an interesting uh, matchup between Rashawn and, and uh, Hogan. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's the past. We're going to learn from it, um, you know, and keep moving. Do you think the county executive will run again for an office? Well, let's just say he ran twice for county executive and lost. Um, and then he ended up winning. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't foresee that uh, politics is completely out of Mr. Baker's future, but I, I know that he is very focused on um, his his wife and his and spending more time with his kids. I mean, he's been in elected office, and you know, for anyone who's in elected office, God bless him. Like the drain on you from your family, like you, you're you're balancing that family and that um, that constituency which wants you just as much. They want to see you at every event, every coffee, every tea, every bull roast. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a tough balance. Uh, I've been watching him really reconnect uh, uh, with uh, and spend some quality time with his family, which uh, I just ran into him a few weeks ago. And uh, he seemed like he was really happy and doing what he loves. He's back into education. Uh, it's, what he's, it's where he's always been. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I wouldn't put it past him, though. It's certainly a a figure that, uh, you know, if he decides to get back into the political fray, there is always an opening. You never close the door on on that on those opportunities. Tell me about MD Strategic Consulting. What I'm looking on your website, and if anybody – whoever is listening, you can visit md-strategic.com, and I'm looking at your about page, and – you mentioned earlier you talked about helping people craft a message, connecting with with people, and you work on your clients for that be, your behalf. Now you're headquartered in uh, Prince George's County in Baltimore. You have an office there. And what what is in a nutshell? What does your business do? In a nutshell, uh, I guess the best thing I, I guess it's just to give an example. Like um, we uh, we often get hired by people that are trying to figure out how to either brand themselves, um, uh, that their message isn't getting through clearly. You know, my years in politics, you know, I, my job was to help convince a voter that my candidate was the right person to talk to. So we'd use marketing strategies, direct mail strategies. We'd be on the ground. We'd be on the air. Uh, we would work with the candidate to kind of not just talk policy, but talk who they are. It's no different for a business, a nonprofit, um, an organization. Uh, it is just connecting. Uh, so I basically in my business took all of those strategies that help connect the person story because people give to people. It's something my dad, my dad was a cab driver in Baltimore city for 35 years. And he would say, People give to people more than people give to causes. Be the person, not the cause. I didn't quite understand that when I was younger. He was a cab driver, like, and he would make me ride around the cab with him on the weekends when I was bad. So most of the weekends from my young life, I spent uh, hanging out with my dad, and he would always repeat it. But what he was teaching me was that, that personal connection. You know, People make very personal decisions on the products they buy, the people they vote for. Um, so how do you craft a message to tell that story? That's what we spend every day, all day. Uh, and I'll give you an example. We were working with a developer and the developer uh, said, uh, this is the project I'm doing. This is great. This is why we're going to do it. Uh, it's going to be great for the community. And I said, okay. He's like, but the community hates me. And I said, well, why? And he said, I don't know. I don't think they understand me. I don't think they understand, like, the – and I was like, well – he's like, look, look at all my marketing materials. And I said, well, that's great. Where are you from? 
oh, I'm, I'm from Frederick. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, what did you do in Frederick? Oh, I grew up on a farm. Oh, okay. Well, well it's like, was your farm family wealthy? He's like, oh, no, we were dirt poor. And I was just like, well, how did you get involved in this? He was like, well, actually, I was an intern for this company before I became CEO. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to take all this marketing material. When we get up on stage, I want you to tell that story. Let your people tell the other story. I want you to tell that story, and then I want you to listen. And I want you to listen to what people are telling you their needs are. And it was funny. He got up. He gave that speech. And the first hand that went up was asking the person, how did you get into that internship? Like, how did you get inspired? It wasn't asking about the project. It was asking about him as a person. People wanted to trust him and where he came from. And then he wanted them, him to listen a bit. And that's basically what we spend a lot of time doing, like that personal connection, that brand. Like, you can't just roll into a community and tell them what they need. You need to listen to their needs and get direct input and direct feedback uh, especially from young people, they have no problem telling you exactly what's on their mind. Um, so that's basically, we do that across the board. It's not just developers. You know, we help design uh, the menus for local Baltimore restaurant, Ida B's restaurant. Uh, we've been working with uh, Sodexo Magic, um, which Sodexo, hmm. based, in, based in Gaithersburg. You know, I met with some CEOs, some of the CEOs and leadership from Sodexo, and I said, just like Airmark has made Philadelphia, their hometown, you're right here in Maryland. Your, your national headquarters is here in Maryland, and all people know of you is that Sodexo sign. Those who know you really know you. You're, the people who work for you love the company. It's one of the most diverse companies. Why isn't the state of Maryland all over you? You do food and, and facility services. I think a lot of people can do that and need that. You, you employ over a thousand people. And just cause I know the numbers off the top of my head in Prince George's County alone. Like, so how do we tell that story better to make you the home team? Um, so it's that kind of work that I've been doing uh, just really stemming from my political work. How do you make that personal connection? So someone buys in? I, I, I know where Sodexo building is. It's in downtown Rio and it's about five minutes away from my home in Gaithersburg. I know the it's a it's a massive company, and you're right. Now, maybe people, you know, the name Sodexo itself it it honestly sounds like a prescription drug that you would take for <laughs> being being depressed. Um, I I I I'm looking at your case study online, and you talk about that you you write that it's a it's a world leader in the quality of life services in over 80 countries, improves the health, well-being, and performance of 75 million lives. That's a great story to tell in Maryland. It's a big business. They're employing. They're helping their local economy. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's certainly something that, uh, that matters. And you, know, I, I, you mentioned something, and I want to go back to it. We always, I always try to draw as much as I can on personal narrative. It's it, – your story about your dad driving a cab and was it in, you say Baltimore city? Yep. Yeah. So did, did that influence you? Did that, that did, did his time spent doing that? Um, I, I imagine your dad has in, in, incredible stories. I mean, cab drivers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, they see so many people, they come into contact with, with personal people. Tell me about that. Did you, how, how did your dad influence you? Well, I think it actually started, uh, so when I was younger, I was diagnosed, like uh, many young people, um, with dyslexia and attention deficit. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, when I was a black kid from inner city Baltimore, so my teacher, when I was bad, just came to the decision, he can't learn. Uh, and I remember my mom was sitting there, uh, and it was, the teacher was just overwhelmed. I was, and trust me, I was bad. Uh, but uh, the, the, my mom was sitting there and basically said, when the teacher said, well, we're going to kind of move him to special ed and get him this special, try to get him some special attention that he needs, you know, to my mom, you know, moving a young African-American kid in Baltimore City to special ed was basically the end of my road. I would end up 
uh, not in a good job and not going, progressing forward. So she said, absolutely not. He does too many well-thought-out bad things where I can clearly tell he created a plan to do it. I know he's intelligent. We just have to figure out how to teach them, teach him. And I thank God for that woman. Um, she spoke to my father. Uh, she worked a second job. She got me into tutoring. I got an opportunity that a lot of kids in the inner city of Baltimore don't get. Uh, she worked that second job. I went to a tutor. The tutor within the first few minutes identified that I was dyslexic, and she identified that I had attention deficit because I, I was looking at everything else in the room. I could tell her how many fish were in the fishbowl. I could tell her how many cats she had, how many plants were in the room, but I couldn't tell her what, I, what she was talking about in that conversation. Uh, so my dad wanted to socialize me, uh, and he wanted me to listen to people. He wanted me to learn that a lot of people have issues, but they keep moving. So every person that got in that cab on weekends when I was bad, um, and it wasn't just all the weekends when I was bad, like he would take me around and take me to Memorial Stadium and take me to Lexington Market, like, uh, but mm. he wanted me to learn how to interact. My mom wanted me to learn how to master my um, learning disabilities, which I now call my superpowers. If, you, if you've met anybody with dyslexia and attention deficit, I can pay attention to many things happening all at once, once I learned how to control it. Uh, which was very helpful in a consulting business where I'm like kind of or working for an elected official where someone's talking to them and someone else is trying to talk to me at the same time. Uh, but the two of them helped me master them, those, uh, those things. My, my dad passed away 11 years ago uh, next month, and uh, my mom now works for me. She just retired two weeks, uh, a month ago, and she's now uh, my office manager and my uh, uh, and my director of finance. So once again, she has control of my schedule and my finances. So, uh, is that your, your mom, Ms. Humphreys? That I see. Her. Wow, that's incredible. See, uh, having your now, I don't think my mom and I could work together. I think we would be an awful <laughs> match. It would be. It, it, it truly would be a, an awful thing. It would be a train wreck that you would have to turn away from because it would be so awful. But. You know, you you said something about you had AD was it ADD or ADHD? ADHD. So when I was about and I'm I'm 30 I'm 33, I'll be 34 next month and when I was in in about first grade and I guess that would put me at about 7, 6 or 7, uh my first grade teacher noticed that there wasn't something off about me, but rather it was just something different and Back in the early 90s, this was 90, 91, ADD and ADHD still had some sort of stigma attached to it. So you, you take your child to the doctor, and um, my mom was a single mom at the time, and she took me to the doctor, and they do all these different tests, and they, they, make, you, they make you feel special in, in a way to say, we're, we're going to make sure that your, your brain is working okay. I just remember them saying that, and you know, it, 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 I it discovered that I had ADD and I just remember my teacher and my mom and others in the education community, as well as family members, just to say, it's, you were, you were born this way and it, you have to take this medication just as if you had to take insulin to make you function. So throughout my life, Jason, I've been, I've had to take medication from started out with Ritalin and then I think it was Adderall, Stratera, and then back to Adderall. And it's, it's just become part of my daily life, knowing that this medication helps me be successful. It helps me to balance and to, uh, to form like any, any other person. And it's, uh, it's something that I'm not ashamed to talk about. I used to be ashamed, I guess, because I didn't want to feel like I was different. I didn't want to feel odd or weird. Uh, and people people are pretty generally cool about it these days, and it's one of those. So I really can relate to you on that front. So no, I appreciate that, Brian. I appreciate hearing it. You know, it's uh, it's and it's also something. Um, it's a stigma in the African American community having any type of um, it's something you just don't talk about any type of mental health thing. So I mean, I remember my mom wouldn't talk about it at all. She's like, "Don't tell anyone. Like you're just getting tutoring because you're getting tutoring," but you know, I, I yeah. noticed some of my same symptoms in some of my cousins 
like saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe they, maybe they should be getting the type of tutoring or learning. Uh, she didn't want me medicated for uh, that. She just didn't want me medicated at all. So she, that was one of the reasons my dad got me out and socialized, focused on, focus on the conversation. What are they saying? Um, uh, I, I have a love for animals. So um, they figured that out and uh, they, they had me read every animal book possible. So, you know, don't, you know, wouldn't want to go up against me if it was like, a trivia where, where it comes to animals, like, cause I would be able to really take people to task, but it was because they were trying to figure out how my brain worked. Uh, and it's, right. and it was to my advantage. I go, I go and talk to kids every once in a while. And I said, your learning disability is your superpower. And just like the X-Men when they first got their powers, they couldn't figure them out. They couldn't do anything right. But after a bit of time and a bit of focus and learning what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, they were able to master those powers and become what they became today. And, you know, you just watch young people kind of smile at it. I wish I could have said that to myself, you know, 20 years ago when I was, I don't think we understood it. I don't think we understood it. And it was a new, it was, it was something new back then that the, and I just, you know, I just remember a family member telling me, you don't have to take this medication. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need this. This is, you know, your parent, you're, you're getting drugged up uh, for no reason. And I think that's ignorance and it, it's, it, it wasn't necessarily their fault, but you know, I, you have to take the medication in order to function the right way. For me, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's different. And, and so I, I really appreciate that. And I, I, it's just one of those things I've never, I can never say I struggle with it. Uh, now, I've had tutors throughout my life. I, I, I struggled with math, but I, and I, but then I, I found these as I was progressing through my education journey, and it, it'll never end. I mean, but in grade school and then up into middle and high school, you, you, I, I developed these somewhat weird savant qualities that sometimes people were like, how does he know this? And it was just a, a weird resuscitation of like random facts. And I, I could study something that I was really interested in and be able to tell you everything about it. But then there's subjects and topics that completely bore me. Like I'll tell you right now, like accounting, I, I would never want to be an accountant. It, it just it is something that I find absolutely horrifically boring. And so, uh, <laughs> So I've, I've managed to find I'm with you. My mom, yeah. my mom does it. And I'm like, I'm like, good for my mom. I was like, yeah. you know, you're the numbers person. Good for you. Like I, yeah, I'm with you. So I'm more of a target I, numbers person. Like look at a field plan and see all the numbers come together or look at a marketing plan and see where the numbers connect that I can do. Yeah. yeah I'm a data guy. I like, I, I like to break down data. You show me, um, not loose data, but we, Data that is concentrated and data that is organized, and I I, I like to to look at information to depict to, to to summarize and to depict future trends. But anyway, I, I'm looking at some of your your corporate clients and uh, the, the the folks you you work with some heavy hitters. I see Chick Fil A on here. Um, I see BDMG, Maryland Family Network. Uh, you work with some pretty neat nonprofits, some professional firefighters issues, and then uh, looks like some city of district heights. But are you based out of Baltimore? Is that where you live and is that where you primarily work from? No, I'm actually uh, based out of Prince George's. That's where oh, you're I in Prince. spend. Yeah. So, but I live in Baltimore. I'm, I'm Baltimore homegrown. Like, uh, you know, like my dad was the cab driver, but even before that, my great grandfather was the guy that used to ring the bell to open in Lexington market. I was just speaking about him at Lexington market, um, a few, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, that he would come out in his top hat and his, uh, his tails and he would ring the bell to open it in the morning and ring the bell to close. And then he would do his shoe shine stand. So he was really the first entrepreneur I knew in my family. So that's my Baltimore roots. But like, you know, from the time I worked for, you know, uh, you know, Senator Miller, like, and he just gave me that opportunity. He assigned me to budget and tax into Prince George's County. So that was starting in 2003. I was just in Prince George's County. So then after ending working with Mr. Baker and getting my business started, one of my first clients was the, was the Michael company, the developer and 
then uh, I had another client, Alice Ferguson Foundation. Both of them were in Prince George's County. So in my mind, it only made sense. I had my spare bedroom office, which it was just me and uh, one of my uh, two of my uh, team members working in that office, all facing each other. Uh, but my real office has always been in Prince George's County, has grown since then, as well as our investment in the county. So I drive to Bowie three days a week. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, you don't seem you don't seem like a political guy to me. You don't seem like a partisan guy, even though you've you know you work for Democrats. You obviously I, I assume you're a Democrat, but you you don't sound very hard partisan to me. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, someone who covers Maryland politics, it's it, it's refreshing. I I see I, and I I work and talk to and communicate with many of the partisans, many of the the party activist people, and there's there's nothing wrong with them um, from my perspective. But uh, I I like to to talk to people who work in politics, but actually go into business and form. Uh, they're uh, yeah, they're not they're not beating the party drum every day, and I I think that's a bit refreshing. Is, is that characterization, uh, I guess, accurate to you, or what, what do you think? No, I, I um I've worked in democratic politics like all of my life, and I have um, but I've got to work for people that you know even though they were Democrats, they were very I very thoughtful Democrats. You know, Mike Miller. Um, you know, people would classify him as a very moderate Democrat. He saw some things one way, saw them others. Like you know, I, I learned a lot from him, and had to learn a lot. Uh, and opened my mind to actually learning and actually talking to people, which is like where I think we're losing ourselves um, and, and some of our social media and other things where we're not it's talking to point. each other anymore. No. We're, um, social yeah. media allows us to to sit behind a computer screen and make accusations, to make assumptions, and like you, I'm a people person. I I, I even try to avoid the phone. I like I like talking to people face to face. I like to engage people and really open my mind. And and me it's my journey. It's it's taken a long time to really understand how important uh relationships are, just people in general and just to sit and at a at maybe at a coffee shop for an hour and have a face to face conversation um knowing that Everybody's time is so valuable. I, uh, the older I get, I, I just I so appreciate the, the time I'm given with people, and it, every time that I have a, a meaningful conversation, I um, it matters to me. And I, I think your business lends to that. I think that having your client relationships and telling the stories that you do in Maryland politics, you have an opportunity to really shape the narrative in not only politics, but business and really whatever um, public service that you're, you're trying to accomplish, whatever marketing uh, initiative that you are executing. I, I, I just find, I find your work fascinating and admittedly, I don't always understand it, but I um, it, it, understanding it, meaning that my own ignorance, I, I just, I, sometimes I just don't really understand what, folks like you you do but maybe you could walk us through a day to kind of what you do day to day if you don't mind me asking yeah sure i mean <laughs> well i feel like my my day sometimes when we have uh, <laughs> 11 team members is sometimes administrative for example yeah. on thursday uh, i walked into my office and a pipe had burst in my office and flooded the office so no no uh, sorry you know, my day was <laughs> but you know it's it's the things you learn about in business like um you have to be very nimble very thoughtful very much so like a campaign um uh you know like i feel like every day i'm kind of running a mini campaign you know one second i'm working with volunteers of america chesapeake figuring out um you know how we can expand the reentry center uh that's based in baltimore or expand their operations in north carolina to sitting down with Sodexo and talking about our aging school facilities and how Sodexo and Sodexo Magic, which is the Magic Johnson Enterprises, how that can be effective. Or this past weekend, sitting with my team and planning out, uh, making sure all of the uh, artwork got put up for the opening of the Willie Mae Jackson Charter School for, for wow. girls here in, in Baltimore. Like So it's very hard to describe 
any one day. Uh, and it's like my, my most normal days is probably Monday where I have a team meeting and I have staff check-ins where each one of my, like we're meeting with internal, we kind of call it our internal office day where we're all spending time together kind of in one office facing each other, uh, switching back between our Prince George's and Baltimore office. But, you know, so I wouldn't say that there was a typical day. Uh, and I don't think any small business leader can say, you know, I have a typical day because you, every time you think it's going to be a typical day, mm-hmm. you uh, end up having to deal with something. Um, I find it fun. It feeds into my, um, my, my, my ADD. It feeds into like my want to be active, but it also allows me at the end of the day uh, when I get home to lay my head down, knowing that I did something to make a difference for someone, you know, when we were raising money for the Alice Ferguson Foundation, uh, helping build the first living building in the state of Maryland, which means it was net zero energy, net zero water, carbon neutral, uh, handled its own waste, uh, uh, made of non-toxic materials. That's something where there are thousands of kids a year going to that facility every year, and that facility helped push down uh, some of the costs for future buildings because they did all of these things, just like LED lights used to be like 500 bucks. You know, <laughs> they were doing interesting things in, in a building. Uh, they actually uh, required, because it was carbon, because <laughs> it couldn't be toxic materials, they removed the formaldehyde from the cement. It actually dropped wow. the cost of cement by 10% and found out that formaldehyde isn't necessary in cement. I don't know what the formaldehyde industry did to get them themselves worked into be a needed item in cement. But that that's like my day-to-day, figuring out those cool things that, you know, later become a talking point for me, but may actually continue to help people well beyond my years, trying to create a company that, uh, it doesn't have my name on it. It's not Jason Williams Strategic Consulting. It's MD Strategic Consulting. So hopefully someone will take and run with it, you know, 20, 25 years when I'm, you know, wanting to do something else. Or retired and enjoying the, the fruits of your labor. And look, when, I, <laughs> when I'm done, when I'm out, and, and I don't think I'll – I don't know. I mean I, I still haven't figured out what I want to do when I grow up. So it's uh, – it's one of those situations, but I think my my wife and I often talk about we'd love to I'd, I'd love to move to the eastern shore. We got married in, in down in St. Michael's. We were in and Talbot County is sort of our second home, um, although we don't own a home there. But we end up spending a lot of time there. I think we're going to end up on the shore. But Mike, smart guys like you, visionary guys like you can come up with a way, hopefully, that. Maryland becomes friendlier to retire to, and that that's a concern of mine because my whole family mm-hmm. is Maryland. My I've I've known nothing but Maryland my entire life. So um, I I'm, I'm I'm I love to stay here. My wife and I are both born and raised and raised our kids here, and we're we're going to stay for the foreseeable future. And but to retire here or to live here full time, I don't know. I'd like to be near a beach. I'd like to be near the water. Uh, I, there's something calming. There's something just inherently calming about water, and uh, I, I like I like warm weather, but not humidity. I hate the humidity. I think this weather today is perfect, Jason. I think it's just a an absolutely perfect I'm a, day. I'm a hot weather guy. I love the warm weather, but you're absolutely right. The water is a big thing. It's one of the reasons why I'm chairman. I'm glad to be chairman of the Pride of Baltimore, the Tall Ship. Um, like I get to spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about, you know, Maryland, talking about Baltimore and being on the water and sailing. That's uh, you know, oh. St. Mary's College. I'm, I'm a sailor at heart. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, Jason, there's, there's so many more topics that we could touch, and we, I think we could have a, a five-hour conversation. I find you to be truly fascinating, and um, it's, it's a pleasure to – I wish we could have done it face to face, but this this works too. Um, just to learn a little bit about your story, to hear how you uh, built this business, um, how uh, your political uh, uh, roles with different big name Maryland politicians guided you in this direction, and here you are uh, leading a team of eleven people and uh, spurring commerce, helping businesses in Maryland thrive. So. My hat is off to you. It's a it's a major it's a major job and a role that you have, and you take this responsibility 
excuse me, a responsibility very seriously. And so I, I really appreciate you coming on and just hanging out and talking. And this is what this show's all about. We just talk. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. I mean, thanks for all you do. I really uh, appreciate you attending our event. Look forward to having you next year, but uh, let's get together uh, before then. Oh, for sure. I'd, I'd love to come and, and hang out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a place to go. And, um, but I, I really appreciate your time tonight, uh, especially on a Sunday evening. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, We'll, we'll definitely get together and your party next year. I'm guaranteeing. I don't know how you top this year, but I really think that uh, <laughs> I really think you might do it better next year. <laughs> we, have a, we have a couple ideas. It's it's 2020, 2020. It's on August 20th, 2020. I figure we'll come up with something fun. Well, um, we'll, we'll get together pretty soon and then uh, we'll, um, we'll revisit and have a, another conversation. I, I try to stay away from the national politics because it's just – I think it's overcovered right now. It's just so much. I don't even – trying to figure out what's happening day-to-day in between the White House and Congress, it's really exhausting. And I think it doesn't always reflect the, the true needs of Marylanders of, or just what how, how people orchestrate their lives. I don't think people are looking at the, the, the day-to-day details of – um, of how cable news depicts the Washington scene, as crazy as this is. Um, so I, maybe we'll tackle the the Washington politics, but or we just stick to Maryland, what we both know, because I I know Maryland, you know Maryland, so we might be better off talking about this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't even turn on CNN or uh, MSNBC or Fox. I mean, every once in a while, I'll turn Fox News just to hear what's being said, but um, <laughs> I, I it's just a it's just a, it's a lot. I, I You're can't. absolutely right. It's just it's overwhelming. I like – look, I find myself, um, especially in the car, I'm in the car a lot. I listen to – I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I, t- I tend to listen to crime podcasts. I, I think I, I like a good mystery uh, or a good real story, and I've been, I've been entertained. But if you want to listen to a good podcast, uh, aside from a minor detail podcast, which I encourage everybody to subscribe to tonight, I would strongly encourage you to listen to the recent episode of Parit Bharara's interview with George Conway where they talk about the dreaded topic of impeachment, but George Conway really does interviews, and if you like a good podcast, Parit Bharara, he does an excellent podcast, and also, I like to interview political figures and really draw out their personal narratives. I'm sure you've heard of David Axelrod, The Axe Files. He does an excellent podcast with these big national figures, and he does sometimes before a live audience. That, to me, is really entertaining when you can talk to political figures and draw out their their personal narrative, and that's, that's how I sort of inter- tried to engineer this particular podcast, and it's growing what I'm trying to accomplish with my site, um, having just an alternative form of media and these long-form interviews that we've had tonight. It, it brings to live real people. People might know you as, as Jason Williams, who's the president and CEO of MD Strategic Consulting, but they, they don't necessarily get to hear your story, and that's my, that's my job is to also tell those stories from a, a journalist perspective. So, um, Jason, it, it was an honor and a privilege to talk to you tonight. I really appreciate your time, and my friend, I hope we, set, we, uh, we catch up soon together. Sounds like a plan. I really appreciate it, and have a great night and have a great week. You as well. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Jason Williams, president and CEO of MD Strategic Consulting. You can find him on his website at md-strategic.com. Uh, you know, I wanted to mention one thing. This is off topic, but last – on Friday, and if you – I rarely watch Fox News, and I'll, I, I won't get into why it's 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 rare, but but rather I – I, I do. I did. I did as much as possible try to catch the three o'clock p.m. hour of Fox, which featured Shepard Smith. And Shepard Smith recently announced that he was leaving Fox News, and it really hit me hard because, yeah, here's Shepard Smith is a consummate newsman. He was the Fox News Channel's lead news anchor during breaking news. He was the managing editor. And a guy who's been doing news for 30 years of his life, his entire career. And he was someone who's hard-hitting. He got to the facts, and he was he just reminded me, and still is, of a, of a classic newsman in the era of Concrete or Murray. So these guys that 
that are just iconic. And Shep always got to the facts. And it's sorry to see that uh, what's happened nationally has, has I guess, um, incapacitated him to, to do the job that a journalist is supposed to do. And that's to tell – that's to get to the bottom of every story to present the facts, all sides fairly, uh, without fear or favor, and with integrity and with – and present the public with credible information. And it's staggering to me to think that a journalist like Shep, who was at the network since 1996, since its inception, during this presidency, so to speak, left this net this network that he's called home for uh, over 20 years. That's a shame. That is a it's a damn shame because Shep is just an incredible journalist. But I have no doubt that. Wherever he goes, wherever he lands, and whatever his next project may be, that he will continue to add value to the national conversation through pointed news coverage, through true, authentic uh, detailing of presenting the facts as he has them, and to getting to the root bottom of every story. And you know, another journalist that I am uh, just in awe of, admire, is Jake Tapper from CNN. True journalist, and every time I hear this phrase fake news it it angers me it upsets me because journalists every single day do the job that people may not quite understand but they they bring stories to life they keep our republic functioning and they report the facts and and uncover big truths about who we are as as people of this world and we can't live in a free and functioning society without a free press. And attacks on the press, albeit they are imperfect, we're people, we're imperfect, and they may not always get the story 100%, but it's rare that that happens. And when they do get it wrong, they correct themselves. And if they don't, then they shouldn't be in the, in the, in the job. And anybody who continues to call news fake, uh, I have a real problem with that, and I would just ask you to reflect on that. To stop doing that, really, and tell a journalist thank you every once in a while for, for bringing community news. Maryland has lots of lots of talent of, of, of people who every day go out and get the story and report it and uh, make their communities a better place. So I'm going to end on that note. I hope Shep, Shep Smith is so far in advanced, and if I, like, as I mentioned on Facebook, if I could be one-tenth of the journalist that he is, I will have done something right. I hope you have a successful week. Uh, you can find me on the web at a minordetail.com and a minordetailpodcast.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening tonight. Be well. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a Minor Detail podcast on Facebook, and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a Minor Detail Podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at a minordetail.com. Thanks so much for listening.